everybody. Welcome to the 440 Guitar Podcast. I'm your host, Jarrell Powell. Thank you so much for tuning up. You can guess the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anchor.fm forward slash 440. You can also follow the podcast on Instagram uh, at the 440 Guitar Podcast to get updates on when the episodes come out, when they release, and do some other cool videos and stuff on the Instagram as well. And if you'd like to connect me with an artist that you think would be great for me to speak to, uh, if you think that, um, if you have a question or whatnot in the podcast, podcast or what have you uh, a couple things you can send me an email at the at the uh, 440 podcast at gmail.com uh, you can send me a direct message on instagram you can even leave me a voicemail if you'd like if you go to anchor.fm forward slash 440 there is a way to leave me a voicemail i actually connected with a a really great musician and uh, artist uh, left me a voicemail on the anchor website so feel free to do that too uh you know whatever uh whatever works for you. So uh, today I'm very excited as I have a guest here um, speaking with, uh, just to read a little bit of a description. Uh, this person grew up uh, beneath the wide skies of the rural American West, our childhood appreciation for country music, uh, whose twangy textures seemed to reflect his surroundings, soon gave away an obsession with rebellious guitar-driven rock and roll. Shortly after, uh, recruited by Otis Taylor to join the Blues Legends Band, what follows a whirlwind of international tour dates. Uh, and this person has an album that's coming out uh, very soon. Uh, the third album, if you will, The Hang on August 12th. Uh, the 440 Guitar Podcast is uh, very happy to have uh, Taylor Scott here on the show. How you doing, man? Hey, Jarrell. It's good to be here, man. I'm doing good. How you doing? I'm good, man. As you can see, uh, it's just sweat pouring down my face as usual during here in California and Long Beach, uh, oh, but, but making it, making it happen. Um, but yeah, uh, how's everything going on, uh, on your end, just when it comes to just music, what do you got going on for this week? Oh man. Well, I feel you first of all, with the heat, I just came back from the other end. Uh, I was in, in the Southeast, you okay. know, so I was roasting in a whole different kind of way, but yeah, we just, <laughs> just got back. We're doing, um, Let's see. I don't know what's going on this week. Uh, I'm 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 hosting like a local funk jam for a bunch of Denver musicians, which has been super cool because we have a lot of national touring cats in Denver now. You know, because it's become such a hub. So we get this funk jam going on like the weeknights. A lot of great players show up. So that's something I do weekly. That's super fun. Nice. Uh, we just got back from Philadelphia too. You know, hung out with Los Lobos and did a big blues festival over there. Uh, nice. Yeah, man. Um, I'm trying to shed at the house a little bit. You know how it is when you get into touring season. If you get two or three days off, it's like that's your only time to sit and shed a lot of the time, you know, and you're not right. on stage or traveling. So right. I, uh, I'm sitting here next to my 65 Super, and after I hang Ooh. up with you, I'm probably going to nice. dig into that for a little bit, man. <laughs> yeah. Very cool, very cool. I, I was curious just to ask you, this is kind of a random question here, but uh, I, this came about when uh, I was speaking with um, – I don't think it even came up when I spoke with that artist, but I heard him say it on a different interview and then it just had me thinking. Um, when you're on tour, you know, and playing at shows and whatnot, how many uh like how many days in a row do you remember touring and like having to having to play to play live at a time? Does it usually just kind of spread out? Because I, I remember speaking to Josh Smith and he was like, Yeah, there was a moment where it was it was kind of like challenging, but it was like a badge of honor where like he had to play like 21 straight shows and he's playing like crazy stuff. And it's like his hands are on fire, you know? Oh, uh, dude. Yeah. <laughs> I know that feeling. In fact, the first, this was a total rookie, rookie move. The first long tour I ever went on, you know, I was like probably 18 and mm -hmm. uh, 
we get in the middle of the tour. It was about a three month long thing. Now we didn't play every single day, which I know mm. is your, your real question, but like we, uh, we were up in Canada halfway through the tour. And we, at that point we were playing like, you know, 15 shows in a row, no break or whatever. And I decided to up my string gauge, you know, oh, no. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I'm going I'm to be a bad motherfucker. You know, I'm going to get these strings <laughs> up to, to, to manpower here, you know, and yeah. like, uh, I was like totally torn up, you know what I mean? And Man. then you can't turn back. We ever had the thing where you like super glue your nail to your finger. Oh my you know God. What I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. Sets, and it holds for about three tunes and then it breaks again and starts pulling the cuticles away. Yeah. Don't do that kids. Don't, yeah. don't, up your string gauge in the middle of the tour where you're playing every night but yeah i don't know man lately there's been especially since uh, everything that happened a couple of years ago there's like d- touring looks a little bit differently right now i feel like mm. you know like at, at a band at our level um but which i mean like we still tour around with like a van you know mm. what i mean yeah uh, we're not like but we fly sometimes too but um we're not like you know playing huge venues and all that except for like festivals and stuff and support slots. So we're like at that road dog phase where a couple years ago you would try to play as much as possible, even though like those early week gigs when you're not a super well-known artist, you know, yeah, like that stuff can be brutal. I think everybody who's toured on that level knows that. And lately because of kind of some of the changes we've gone through, it seems like we're doing a lot more like weekend stuff or like fly dates and things like that, because it's kind of hard to do that like early week stuff. So lately yeah. I almost feel like we're, I don't feel like I'm slacking, but it feels like weird not to be playing every day of the week when you're on the road. Right. Cause mm-hmm. I think the most I've done in a row is probably like in a row is probably about that 20 yeah. mark or so, you know, but Man. usually like you might have Monday or Tuesday or both off and then carry on through. Yeah. Um, but yeah, lately it's just been a whole different rhythm. I feel like, man, you know, we're bouncing around a lot. And uh, like I said, it's hard to do that early week stuff in the middle of the country or whatever. You know what I mean? It's like, everybody's kind of got a different MO touring wise. So, Definitely. I've been coming home between the trips uh, more than I used to. Uh, and that's been cool because there's such a local thing that's cultivated here in, in Denver, especially like I mentioned the past few years, you know, a lot of national touring cats have moved here and the musical community is really a lot more robust than people would expect who haven't spent time here. Nice. So for me, it's been great not to be on the road all summer because I'm, I'm involved with all this other stuff here. I mean, like my buddies, uh, some of my friends are in Lettuce, and they're, uh, I don't know when this podcast will come out, but we're recording it uh, today. They're, 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 uh, they're playing Red Rocks tomorrow with Tower of Power. Oh, nice. And I just played with some of those guys like two nights ago in a little bar here where me and Benny Bloom from Lettuce, he's the trumpet player. We have a honky tonk band on the side. Oh, wow. Like, that's crazy. People hear that and they're like, <laughs> what? You know, when they, when, when they first found out about it, a lot of our friends were like, is this like supposed to be funny or what's it? It's like, no, man. Yeah, we're into this. It's a real deal. So the point is, you get like members of Lettuce playing in a honky tonk band and and all kind of other stuff like that. Like that's what's going on around Denver. There's so much community wow. and like such a communal vibe with some really good players. Man, like I've got my ass kicked plenty of times. You know what I mean? You're like, <laughs> oh shit, time to go back to the shed. And uh, so that's been really cool for me, man. Like that that local regional vibe. And I encourage anybody who's got that going on to dig into it hard because I feel like I was missing a lot of stuff. Yeah. you know like like pre-pandemic or whatever and now it's like that thing kind of solidified you know that communal thing locally yeah. so i'm digging playing on that man and learning a lot nice you know? very nice very nice so here on the 440 guitar podcast we're really big on origin stories how people got to where they are today uh one of the first questions usually i ask is tell me about your earliest memory of music uh yeah man you know you were talking earlier i, I grew up in wyoming 
I was born in St. Louis, and when I was about five or six, we moved out to Wyoming. So, like, you know, that early childhood stuff, I don't remember so good. But mm-hmm. um, uh, really, when we got to Wyoming, like, we moved out to the country, which was so just such a completely different thing for me, even at, at that age. Yeah. And my parents, like, really got into that vibe and started listening to country music a lot around the house. And we got horses, you know, and uh, I was, like, riding and roping as a kid. So I'm listening to like all this country music. The first thing I remember is going to a concert by this Wyoming singer songwriter who's like a cowboy called Chris Ledoux. He's dead now, but um, throughout like seventies, eighties, nineties, and early two thousands, he was like kind of the, the singer songwriter country guy that came from Wyoming. It's obviously not a state super known for its music. Right. But this guy always grabbed me from the get-go, I, I just was into it because it was what it was playing, and I, I connected with music really quickly once it was available. And then now I realized, like, that dude was a bronc rider who, and an actual cowboy, you know, writing about that life. And, like, wow. that was the first thing that struck me in going back to that music later after I rebelled against it and then fell back in love with it, you know, as you grow up. <laughs> yeah. I realized, like, damn. My first musical influence, which is like something that I even like stylistically left for so long, his whole thing was like telling his real, true, genuine, authentic story. And, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. And that that stuck with me, you know. Uh, mm. So going to his concerts, at, they were at rodeos, literally. You know, like yeah. it was like a concert at Shine Frontier Days rodeo. Uh, you know okay. what I mean? And yeah. so like. It was a totally different vibe from most other people that I know that play the type of music that I play, which mm. is not usually country music, you know, mm. funk mm. and blues and jazz and soul. Yeah. Usually that's not, they didn't come up going to rodeos. And rodeos right. Concerts, so. <laughs> that but that the guy, demo, Chris yeah. Ledoux, if you like country songwriting, man, check him out, you know. Nice. Um, but that was my first stuff, man. But it, it obviously impacted me big time. In fact, I got to sing, I got to cover a Chris Ledoux song on stage for the first time like two days ago. Oh, awesome. Which, yeah, which is pretty dope. Nice. Nice. Now, as far as like the music in the house, like growing up or just the mirror, just in general music play in the house at an early age, was it, was it uh, originally like blues and stuff or was it a mix of the country? What, what kind of stuff was playing in the house when you were growing up? No, it was like, um, there was a lot of country of the time. So I'm 28. So I I was born in 93. So by the Mm. time I, my ears started paying any attention around the house, it was like a lot of like country music of the day. And a little bit more old school stuff. Like my dad, like like from George Jones to George Strait. But mm. then also you're hearing like whatever 90s country was going on. Yeah. Um, so it was not, there was not a bunch of blues, you know what I mean, happening around the house mm. at that age, especially because we moved out to Wyoming and they were just in it, which I think is cool. <laughs> you know, I, was, I think it was cool that my not super musical parents did the thing where they get like super into, like they follow a, a vibe and change kind of their style. That's great. Bit, like what's going yeah. on culturally. I think that's dope. Um, but yeah, there wasn't a bunch of blues. And then I, I discovered like my dad's stack of like rock, like seventies and eighties rock and roll records. Mm. And that got me on the, uh, like the Led Zeppelin thing and all that, but that's not what they were spinning. I had to go find that in like a dusty shelf. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? In yeah. The I had, to, had, to, had to crate dig in the house. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. But what about you? What, what was happening in your place? You know, man, uh, you know, it's funny. Um, for me, it, it's interesting because, a lot of the music that was around the house for me, it was either like gospel type stuff because my family was in a choir, except me. I was kind of the black okay. sheep. You know, I was just like, oh, I'll watch you guys. But, you know, like, I don't really I'm not trying to work on my voice, really. Um, but, right. you know, my my brother and my 
mother, they have great voices and been singing as long as I can remember and hearing my brother, you know, wow. practice these riffs and stuff as I'm like, shut up in the other room, you know, uh, but I ended up stealing <laughs> a lot of, yeah, yeah exactly, exactly, <laughs> you know, so like, you know, practicing skills or whatever else, but, uh, but yeah, I ended up stealing a lot of his CDs and, and, uh, you know, which, which got me exposed to a lot of R and B stuff, you know, music, soul child, I just want to sing and, you know, TLC and stuff like that. And then just eventually, I think I think I have a I have a podcast episode where it, it's just it's where my friend interviews me and I think the first album I purchased was either Trapped the <laughs> Rock Band <laughs> Trapped and then the next one I think was Russia Blood to the Head Coldplay and then yes, it, so yeah. the opposite of the gospel world yeah that's, that's what I'm talking about that's why yeah. I like rebelled against my shit too you know yeah shit. yeah yeah it's just I think for me it wasn't really a rebellion it was just I think I was just so open to 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 just everything just because like my like the the people that I would be around on a daily basis for just you know some would look like me a lot of people would not so I was just open right. to hearing anything you know um but yeah so i think i always find it interesting of of what people hear around them just because you know either that can influence them to like oh, i don't care about this music or if some way shape or form it kind of helps in fact influence it so yeah. when it, so when it comes to like rock and blues was that was, was it a combination of what you found in the basement and or what you like found online and stuff later on or radio stations oh, yeah. or how that how that come about totally um Totally the the online stuff, and yeah. because uh, my at, like my age, like YouTube was kind of just coming around, and it was still really cool. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Like it was a little, you know, I don't want to get into it, but it was like a little more just straight up. You know what I mean? No, I, I agree. And, I mean, shit, we we can get. I mean, just to, just because of just because of your age, I, I think it's it makes sense to get into it at least from a, from a sense of like the algorithms and stuff. You know, where everything is just really different it's like i didn't even mean to click on that now this is popping up <laughs> yeah exactly well and now one thing i not to veer off too much sure. of that, but for real sure. like one thing i noticed of course that i think we all notice is now like the recommended like the suggestions and everything that comes up it mm. all is pretty much flowing to like the top you know what i mean yeah just kind of like everything what's else. trending uh, don't yeah. get me started yeah but uh, <laughs> but it's like you know back then it was like if i was looking up a video of snooks eaglin for set you know for example it was like a pretty pretty known but also pretty deep like blues jazz new orleans guitar player mm. like the the suggestions on the side would be filled with snooks eaglin or alan Toussaint or like whatever like things that were related now right. that would funnel me straight to like within a couple suggestions straight to like eric clapton's most known video you know what oh, i mean or like like yeah. highest viewed video it's like well that's kind of related but like not, not really yeah, yeah, yeah it's, like, it's related <laughs> in that way that i see you're like oh Let's just send it like straight to the most views. I'm not blaming Clapton. I'm just saying like right. the socials, you know, tend to tend to flow everything to the top. So like that annoys me. But at the time, I found so much blues music that I would never have found in like my local record store because again, I grew up in Cheyenne, Wyoming. So yeah, you know what I mean. And there was like local radio stations wouldn't be playing anything like that. Right. Um, right. But so it was such a positive thing, man. You know, I got into blues music from like I got into rock and roll like we were like we were talking about, and then. I saw BB King and Buddy Guy and ironically Eric Clapton play on like a VH1 music award kind of thing or whatever. Mm. And so I recognized the tonality of the music because obviously rock and roll comes from blues and I had heard the Zeppelin stuff and the Hendrix stuff. Yeah. But the way that they were improvising and the space they were using and how expressive it was, I think the improvisational aspect is what grabbed me so much because you watched mm. like, like at that age, I had been listening to just like mostly 
90s country and stuff around the house and it's not, it's not the same vibe improvisationally right so to watch somebody just sing and then play what they feel and then sing and then play what they feel like that bb king style that bloody yeah. guy it freaked yeah. me out dude i can still remember like my dad in his rocking chair in the living room when that came on i don't know why it came on or who put it on but that freaked me out. My dad took me to see BB King like a year later when I was in like oh, seventh wow. grade. Oh, cool. Yeah, You're he seen before he passed. And, That's great. Yes. That wow. was like my first like musical experience at another level. You know, like early arrest and about like earliest memories of music. But this was like the next level. You know what yeah. I mean? Where you yeah. really start to like figure out, wait a minute, this is speaking to me in like a profound way. That's and what awesome. is that feeling at that age? You don't know, but you know it's important, right? Yeah, that's amazing. As far as far as when you learning, you know, the instrument, I'm, uh, and I, I don't know if you play other instruments as well, but just as far as learning, uh, you know, learning to play these instruments or playing to play guitar, like, what was that experience like? What did did you have a teacher? Or did did you did you kind of like? Look, are you like a? Uh, that's why I say in quote a YouTube musician because for me, I feel like a lot of stuff I learned was online, and then I just kind of built stuff from from there. How, how did you end up learning uh, playing the guitar? Yeah, totally. I got. You know, my parents were super cool, man, like super, uh, super supportive. And and they got me uh, like some guitar lessons. And there was nice. a few people around town. But, you know, like I said, Cheyenne was the most musical town to grow up in. So that pretty quickly led me to like coming down to Colorado and trying to hit some record stores like in Denver. And also, like I mentioned, I'm like really from St. Louis. So mm. when the family would go back to St. Louis, I had an uncle who was into uh, like R&B and all that, like 60s, 70s R&B and whatever. Nice. And so get into the record stores and start finding stuff to like try to learn off the record that I, you yeah. know, wouldn't have been able to find before. Um, and then through like just some cool teachers uh, that I had when I was pretty young, but like you were saying, YouTube, man. Yeah. And I remember ultimateguitar.com or whatever. Uh, like, yes. <laughs> that's not really what I used to learn music these days, obviously, but like as a, at that age for that resource to be there, you know what I mean? Was yeah. unbelievable. And, and I really didn't have any, uh, any teachers that were there to teach like, music with a capital m it was all because you know how guitar is it's very like it's very easy for people to learn guitar simply physically right right put this finger there put that finger there that's called the pentatonic scale like cool that's how i learn music you know what i yeah. mean or that's how i learn guitar yeah not how i learn music right. <laughs> you know right what I mean? right but right very and true. uh so it was like a lot it was a journey man i had some good teachers but it was also like it took getting to you think you're cool and then you get your butt kicked by right. people who can really play music you know what i mean and right. then it's like oh there's something beyond ultimateguitar.com that I need to be figuring out here, you know, and yeah. I was lucky to have some super good mentors, but I started gigging when I was like 14. Oh, so nice. I was meeting professional musicians by the time I was, you know, 15 or 16. And that mentorship was always yeah. so special, you know? And that's um, got it. That's even, that's a, I feel like that's an even bigger kick in the butt too. Cause you know, it, it, it's one thing when you're, you know, you got your band at such a young age, and then when you get older, you, you get connected with other artists. And you're like, oh man, like this guy rips. But then when you're 14, you're you're seeing other 14 year olds that are ripping. You're like, oh my god, <laughs> <laughs> right? Exactly, man. Like the the prodigy world always freaks me out. That's another mm. thing YouTube and social media has exposed us to. It's like you see, we've all seen it. You're scrolling through, and you're like, wait a minute, that can't be fucking real. You know what right. I mean? It's like a, <laughs> a three-year-old shredding something it's like you can't even hold the guitar yeah I, yeah i don't know yeah. it was definitely not one of those kids i was mm. learning the pentatonic scale at 10 right. <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> trying to figure it out but i always tell people man like i wish that i mean we, i think we've all seen this and like i'm i'm into like victor wooten and oh nice. like that that philosophy of music as a language and 
et cetera, et cetera. But yeah. like I have a friend who has a, a really smart two year old. And the other day I was playing, I brought the acoustic guitar over and like she started playing, like strumming while I was fingering the chords. Ah. You know what I mean? And watching those, like those, uh, uh, like connections happen, just watching a, a, a little kid. Yeah strum the chord and then here and then she started singing to it like i got mm. her going on you are my sunshine or something she was kind of singing over the changes like, yeah she's two you know That's what wild. i mean so it's like and i told i told her folks you know don't pressure your kid to do anything but know that exposing them in a little bit more of a mindful way to music at this age is the game changer because all the baddest motherfuckers i know the ones that are just naturally freaky good like you know about this so especially coming yeah. from like gospel you know in your yeah. family and shit it's like those guys that you know that are just freaky good, a lot of times, that's just like, they have some natural, it's like, I don't know, man, no matter how hard I work, I don't know that I could get as naturally just it's, bad as you are, you know? Yeah. And almost always, they're like, yeah, I started playing drums when I was three. Or whatever, I started, or whatever, you know what I mean? And yeah. you're going, how is that possible? But I know that it is, and now we right. see it, you know? Yeah, exactly, exactly. No, you make a lot of really good points because uh, even just when it comes to like music at an early age you know they say that kids at the around like an early the earliest of ages they have perfect pitch you know what i mean yeah. and um even when it comes to just like a, a lot of kids a lot of parents they try to put their kids in piano lessons at an early age because i was in a uh a music theory class and piano class and press was saying how like their, their articulation on their hands when you're learning it early you can you can tell like as a prof as a professional you can tell those piano players that learned at an early age because of how they articulate playing the piano i'm like that's insane oh, um wild. you know but um but yeah as far as just like as far as just you know playing music at a at an early age i just think if for people that are able to do that or that have that opportunity to do so it's just so like that that's so awesome you know what i mean so and you yeah can hear it. when it becomes so natural because it, it, with the music as a language thing it's like mm -hmm. most of us can speak and communicate pretty well even if it's not perfectly like theoretically or right. you know but we can communicate really well but it's because we've been learning to do that since we were around our parents the, from the second we came out of the womb, right? Exactly. So if you think of music that way, and I, again, I just, I, I've seen so many examples of it, just even in my personal life, let alone the people that we know, the Stevie Wonders of the world, et cetera, right. et cetera. You know right. what I mean? But uh, yeah, it's a very interesting topic. And I'm so parents with young kids that are interested in music or show and interested in music. I'm always like, I'm not telling you to send them to the piano teacher that cracks their knuckles <laughs> with the ruler or anything. But yeah. I'm just saying, keep like propagating and feeding that because mm -hmm. if they do end up wanting to go that route or having a, that kind of passion later in life, they will thank you. You know yeah, what I mean? It's definitely. like, I'm, I'm thrilled. I started as early as I did because it could have, but even just a few years difference, I'd be a different cat and I know it. And I'm not scared to say that. You know? Right. Right. No, that's, that, that's real stuff. No, that definitely respect, uh, you know, respect uh, you saying that too. Cause I feel the same way. Um, I was going to ask you, you know, one of the, one of the things that caught my ears when I was kind of looking up to sound your music a bit is you have a really great, a soothing, soulful voice. When did that? Oh, thanks. Of course. When did that? Uh, when did that happen? As far as like you starting to sing and you know and everything, was that around the same time you were in those bands at fourteen, or I, when did that come about? Yeah, and it actually connects to the same point we were just talking about mm. uh, of like time spent and the whole thing being a language. It's like I started playing guitar when I was nine. And I didn't start singing until I was like about 15. Okay. And so I had a band with my little brother. We had typical, 
you know, close in age sibling bullshit. And so <laughs> he was singing is the point. And but yeah. we did not get along, you know. So <laughs> at some point I was like, well, I guess I have to sing. But I'd been playing guitar long enough to play guitar well enough to be in a band. I had mm. not been singing long enough to sing well enough to really be in a band. I did it anyway. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. Uh, right. Grateful that there's not, you know, that that's not how I sound now. But, you know, it had to happen. <laughs> and so, like, by the time I was feeling a little more comfortable on the guitar, I was just starting to figure out the singing thing just barely. Yeah. Um, and so... I don't feel like I really came into that until my early 20s, even though I started it when I was like 15. So I'm sorry for everybody who had to listen to me singing on those gigs for those five <laughs> years, you know, or whatever. But, uh, you know, uh, it's that same shit, like time spent and how early you started it. I know I would be a better singer now if I started the same time I started guitar or whatever. But at the same yeah. time, I'm glad I learned to sing on stage because mm. it's like it's made me a different kind of singer. You know, I never took yeah. like choir class or anything. I did get some like legit training around that time I'm talking to you about, like when I was in my late teens, early twenties, but, uh, I learned to sing on stage, man, you know, wow. so the, the development is ongoing, trust me. And, and I'm glad that you, I'm glad that you, you know, dug the, dug the stuff you heard. I, the whole pandemic, or at least the lockdown part of it, I just walked around the house with an acoustic guitar singing the entire yeah. fucking time. You know what I mean? So yeah. now I, and I noticed growth. So now this new record, like, I don't know if you got the new record or not with the, however this all works with the not yet. Or whatever. Not yet. Okay. Not yet. Well, you probably yeah. heard a couple of the tracks that are, that have been released, but mm. um, yeah, I feel like it's an ongoing thing, man. And I, I've, I've embraced much more my country roots lately, just because, you know, like we were talking about, it seems like we, we rebel against what we're brought up with a lot of the time, unless yeah. we fall right in line with it. And then you kind of come back to it yeah. a lot of the time, you know? So now like, I was annoyed with country music for years, you know, and then now I'm I'm digging up all the great stuff the past five, six years and mm. really falling back in love with it and discovering all this new stuff I didn't know about. And that's changed my vocal style, man. It absolutely yeah. has. Because some of my favorite singers are in that world. And I find that I can better represent some of that than trying to be like Mr. Blues singer or whatever, because yeah. that's just not who I am anyway. So right. even though that's my shit that I love, you know, but it's yeah. like. So it's cool to kind of combine the two. Like you mentioned a little bit of twangy stuff in your intro, but also talk about blues. Like I like that. Yeah. I was going to ask you before we dive into your, your album, as far as just digging deeper on like the process and, you know, themes and all that, what, what do you think just to press you a bit on, um, on, you know, as far as coming back to some of those things that we once rebelled, like, what do you think was there, what do you think was the point of contention or what do you think was the point that changed where it did veer back to that? Do you think it was a certain experience or just, just, just how you as an artist just kind of shifted when it comes to how you write or make songs? Yeah. Uh, uh, one, I think we just grow up, you know, hopefully and get a little wiser and realize it's that same shit. Like when your parents tell you something that makes you real mad, they yeah. say, you're going to understand later. You know what right, I mean? And older. then of course now I'm getting to that age where I'm, clocking those things like oh man you know yeah. i thought as a kid no i'll never change you know <laughs> like, i realized oh wait just in getting gaining a, hopefully a little wisdom right so like i yeah. found that like that rebellion was often like you know I, I i grew up in wyoming so there wasn't a lot of rock and roll music going on when i wore led zeppelin t-shirts to school i got made fun of you know what i mean when i mm. grew my hair long you know what i mean like i yeah. got shit and all that stuff. So the idea, I think, was as an adolescent was kind of like, well, I'm going to bow up against your shit. Then. You know what right, I mean? Right. You guys like that silly pop country music and whatever. You know what I mean? <laughs> it was like that, you know, that confrontational, self-defensive kind of yeah, thing. Yeah. And uh, 
eventually you learn to let most of that go, hopefully, you know. And then the yeah. other thing was purely musical, Towns Van Zant and Guy Clark, right? I became I was always a song guy, you know. Like the first time I remember hearing the organ was on that Wallflowers song, One Headlight, which is a big hit, but I don't care. It's mm. a beautiful tune and I still listen to it all the time. And that's when I was like five, you know, and oh, I can wow. still remember hearing that B three slide in on like the fourth bar or whatever. Yeah. And it's because it's a great song. I've always been a song guy. So then when somebody started showing me Guy Clark and Towns Van Sant, which are like two of the greatest songwriters of American history and troubadours, and mm-hmm. they didn't sound, especially in the live recordings, they didn't sound country. They sounded like dudes who had been walking to, from gig to gig. You know, it's just like the kind of blues stuff that I was used to right. listening to. And it translated so much better than like produced country music. Right. It sounded like, the storytelling of blues and a lot of the musicality of blues, but different region, different vantage point, whatever. Yeah. And that just cracked the whole thing open for me. Right. Because it sounded so not like the George Strait or the Merle Haggard type of stuff that I heard around the house as a kid. But then I found the threads back to all that. Right. Mm. You know what I mean? You find, Oh, this Towns Van Zant song was actually made famous by this more polished version that Merle Haggard recorded or whatever, which, yeah. You know, it just, it's, and at first I was like, but fuck that. You know, I don't want this version. <laughs> the dusty dirt road version. You right. know what I mean? The, right. the vodka drinking troubadour version. And then now I'm like, no, you know what? Merle Haggard is a damn classic. So it's like, you just trickle your way. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you have to, you have to, you have to kind of find it. Like, it doesn't just happen, you know? But it was Towns and Guy Clark for me, man. If anybody listening doesn't know those guys, and like great songwriters. Nice. Hit it up. Nice. You know, but that, that musical history sent me way back into the country thing and a whole from a whole new vantage point you know nice i'll be i'll i'll I'll, i will have to do some homework on that myself so yeah um, i love it i think cool tell me about this uh the third album the hang coming out here soon this year uh you know what's the uh what's the message behind the album and tell me it's kind of your process working on it uh you know uh the first record that i did uh or excuse me, the second record that, that this band did, we did with Steve Berlin of Los Lobos. Mm. Um, and he he produced it, I mean. Uh, that was my first time working with him. So this record you're talking about is our second project together. Oh, okay. Um, so he, he produced it. Uh, being my second time working with him, and I've played with him in and out of Los Lobos like 30 or 40 times on stage by now. Oh, when nice. I first met him, I was it was like, shit, we're in the studio right now. Okay, here's my song. You know what I mean? And, yeah. And uh, this was a little more uh, familiar and mature of a process, you know what I mean? Just because of the experiences we've had together. So um, having him in the studio was amazing, always is. Uh, he, he does a really good job. Because I write pretty eclectically, like I, because I like so many different types of music, like we touched on. It's like one day I'm writing from kind of a country mindset and, then the next day I'm into like the soul thing or whatever. And that if not produced in a certain type of way can feel like you're running from one end of the field to the other. Right. Mm. Uh, Mm. But Steve has a really cool way of kind of sonically and stylistically and tonally running a thread through all of that. You know Mm. what I mean? All those different kind of styles and vantage points and coming from genre wise. So that was beautiful, man. I felt like we stepped it up, you know, and really created like a sound both sonically stylistically you know um yeah and so that was great with him man it was recorded mostly live not live like on stage but uh, you know um yeah everyone's playing uh, the same room essentially 
yeah, exactly. Some of the tunes I even sang in the same room with them, including mm-hmm. the drums. Same, like we were in a big room for most of this. Um, that talking about the singing too, that made me proud. I never could have sang, you know, a few years back or whatever. I would never would have felt comfortable singing completely live on the studio recording. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd have been like, nah, I'm gonna fuck something up. And, and there's several tracks on this record that we were all all gathered around the drums and. That's a cool way to make a record if you could pull it off, man. You know, we're all now used to overdubbing so much, whatever. And of course we did that too. But uh, that was, it it was a good experience feeling like I worked on some shit and now I can do something that I didn't feel comfortable doing before. So that was a nice experience, man. Mm. Um, Just recording the whole thing live, you know. And uh, you asked about the message of the record. There's like kind of, there's some themes that tend to pop up in my stuff. Yeah pretty consistently um i'm really into just the general idea of remaining presence like Mm. you know presence in your life uh i struggle with all kind of you know anxiety type of stuff and things we've all a lot of especially social media era and everything else you know have kind of trouble staying present i think and so that tend to tends to be a message in my music including in the previous record um It's also just this, a lifestyle thing, you know, when I, the record's called The Hang, mm-hmm. and it's called that because, like, well, one, there's a title track called The Hang, but but we picked that one because, like, my whole thing and our whole vibe and Taylor Scott Band and really the, our kind of, you know, family of musicians and, and friends is, it's all about The Hang, right? Mm, yeah. It's never purely business, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, that thing, uh, and it's not to say we just like to party all the time, that's not the point, but it's about the relationship and the community, um, and uh, I don't mean the community, like, just, like, my neighborhood or what. I mean, like, right. our thing, you know, yeah. your family, your community. Yeah. Um, that is such a huge part of our whole style, even the way we tour. That, you know, it's like some some bands, it's like, backstage is reserved for meh. You know what I mean? Another band, <laughs> yeah. it's like, you go back and it's like, shit, this is packed, you know? It's right. like everybody's friends and family and whatever. And I'm more on that communal side of things and always have been more the merrier etc etc like that's my thing so the hang is kind of about um that battle between your the darker shit that sometimes goes on inside that you feel like you that's occupying like its own space and then the communal shit that is happening that brings that that beauty and that release and that joy and it's about kind of that those those two sets of books you know um and connecting those things so it's really a lot of it's about community and some of it's about you know whatever soul searching like anybody else's tunes but yeah uh, yeah yeah the hang that's the vibe cool neat yeah i was gonna say too you know i feel like um you know playing when you're able to play with you know the music you know your musicians and the same like kind of vicinity, you know, I feel like it's such a lost art in some ways, shapes and forms, but the, just that energy. Cause I was able to, I was able to do that for, for my album transitions too. Um, uh, that's, that, that's out now if anyone cares to check it out, but just that energy between everyone playing together, it's just, you know, and even and you can even feel that, you know, when you listen to, when you listen back, you know, totally. as it's being mixed and mastered, but it's just, there's such a difference versus, you know, X person was, you know, did this, you know, separately, you know, on their UA, you know, totally. <laughs> universal audio know, interface. <laughs> well, and I totally, I'm totally there with you. I, and we've all done records like that. I've done records like that. Yeah. Ain't nothing wrong with it. It's cool. But, uh, you know, I'm not like curmudgeonly about that kind of stuff, you know, well, here's mm. how it should be done, you know, yeah. old school style. But I have to say, it just tends to feel, for me, especially in my own project, if it's something that you're not just being called in to play a little guitar or whatever, it's like, 
it's a band, you know, that feel is kind of irreplaceable. You know what, even during the, during the thing, uh, there was a track or two that we recorded that we had to do, like the band played together, but like Steve Berlin was home producing on, it's really cool technologically that we have uh, the ability to like bring a producer into the studio right. virtually. He could listen to the session live. He can make mix edits for himself. He has a headphone mix like everybody else, whatever, but he's in Portland. Very cool. My favorite way to do it? Absolutely not. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Sorry. Yeah. It just is what it is. <laughs> you know, it's very cool that we can do that. Beautiful things can still happen. But like I said, I'm all about the hang, man. Yeah. You know, like the drinks you had after the first session and before the session the next day affect positively <laughs> or negatively. I meant yeah. more like the drinks you have together, not <laughs> the <laughs> But the, you know what I mean? The post-session yeah. hang affects the next day's work one way or another in the way that I see it, at least in this type of music where you're not just pressing a button and there it is, you know? Yeah. Uh, so I don't know. It's all one big organism to me, which yes. is also kind of what the hang's about, you know? It's like... It's one big organism. Every little thing affects everything else. So for us, we want to have that vibe like you're talking. Yeah. We need to be together. We just do. Nice. You know? Yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, so wrapping it up here, man, I was going to ask you just, uh, I guess, this, uh, what are some some lasting things that uh, your listeners should keep an eye out as far as like a next single or just anything else that you guys are doing that people should, uh, you know, uh, keep an eye out or, you know, be sure to uh, to check out before the album comes yeah. out? Absolutely. We actually just had a single come out today called Leaning Tree. Oh, um, nice. Well, actually, it doesn't even come out today. It comes out on, uh, comes out on Friday, which okay. I don't even know what date that is. I'm, I'm not going to check. We'll figure it out later. But uh, <laughs> it comes out probably around the time this is coming out. But um, it's called Leaning Tree. Uh, it was premiered today, but it'll come out later this week. Uh, there's a couple recent singles. It's called Talk to Me and Bleeding Out and Shade Tree American Dream. Those are all off the new record that people could check out. The actual record drops August 12th and uh, we travel a good bit. So, you know, um, we're, we're around the Midwest in August and also in Colorado, but uh, that, that record, the hang August 12th, that's, that's the next big drop. Nice. I'd love it nice. if people would check that one out. Well, that, that new single comes out on Friday. So we'll drop this on Friday too, at the same time. So cool. people can awesome. check out the single, check out the podcast. So, awesome. <laughs> well, uh, Taylor Scott this is a huge, uh, huge honor, man. It's been a great joy speaking with you, man. And, and, uh, looking forward to when the album drops, man. I appreciate it, bro. It's good to be on. Thanks of for having me. Of course. Of course. My pleasure. Well, there you have it, folks. This is Drill here from the 440 Guitar Podcast. We'll jam again soon and have a great day. <laughs>